is to is to equip the body wherever you are on how to best be salt and light where God has placed you. As I mentioned uh, today's webinar, the title is The Changing Faces of Family. And where today's webinar is unique is that today's topic crosses just about every one of the giants group. We're taking advantage of the opportunity that we have, uh, that we have a brilliant topic today to actually have the giants groups meet together as groups. And this will happen in the second part of today's meeting. So the flows of today's meeting will be the first hour will be a plenary session led by Colin, Pastor Colin Dye. And then the second sessions, will, we will break out into the individual groups and we'll meet with the individual groups. Now, for, for many of you, I suppose you have either not signed up or not expressed an interest in a group yet. And I'm gonna explain later on how that works, how today would be a great time for you to come in to the second half of the webinar and to join one of these meetings, participate, help us uh, shape policy. In Colin's plenary session in the first hour, there are a couple 10 minute sessions where he will interact with us. And we can do this one of a couple of ways. If you have a question that you've got in mind as Colin speaks, just jot it down in the chat and we'll try and build that in. Now, if, we, if by chance we get too many questions, we'll find other ways of, by which we can communicate to you. So one of the ways we can do that is through Revival Time blogs or communicating through other church medium. But uh, if you have a question, do throw it in the chat for us. And we will, we will keep our eyes on the chat as we go along. Um, the other thing is the members of the panel that you see sitting with Colin right now, and a number of others will join shortly. This is a subset of the Giants steering team. So each of the Giants have several leaders who drive their programs and their initiatives. We have picked a few um, who will be visible with Colin on this webinar, and they will interact with Colin as we go along. But um, we know that out there in the audience where everyone else is joining, there are many, many other leaders in the Giants Ministries, and you will get involved with all those individuals in the second part of today's meeting. Okay, so meeting in two parts. The first we'll hear from Colin with a couple of 10, 10 minute sessions where we interact. Second part of the meeting, we are going to be breaking out into groups, working with the individual, individual Giants, and I'll explain to you the details on how that works later on. 70 of us on right now, it's fantastic to see that. We're expecting quite a few more. So without further ado, let me hand it over to, to Colin. Thank you very much, Ron. And thank you everybody for joining us today. We're going to be uh, short to the point. And um, I have prepared webinar notes for you and they should appear in the chat. So you might want to pick up those uh, webinar notes and follow through or, or use them later, just to save you taking down copious notes. Also, the PowerPoint that I'm using will also be available, if not during the presentation, but straight afterwards. So the title is The Changing Face of the Family. And I don't think that needs any explanation. We'll trace through some of the changes that have happened um, in recent years, and maybe you can think of more. We're living in an extraordinary season of change and uh, change is here to stay. But we're concerned today how that change has impacted the family. And as Ron mentioned, we have included all the giants because in one way or another, 
we want the giants to focus on the family from within their particular area and their particular disciplines. I'm going to start off in this first part by describing what is the family and then looking at something to do with a biblical perspective on family and then um, a little more detail on what families look like today. So first of all, what is family? Now, a good place to go to begin is the UK census definition. And uh, it is quite limited. It doesn't always incorporate everything that we mean by families, but you can imagine for national statistics, for provision of services and for research, they have to have some kind of definition. And so the UK census definition of a family is that a family includes a householder and one or more people living in the same household who are related to the householder by birth, marriage or adoption. So all the people in the household who are related to the householder are regarded as members of his or her family, that is by birth, marriage or adoption. And uh, a family is uh, a married or civil partnered or cohabiting couple with or without children or a lone parent with at least one child who lives at the same address. And children may be dependent or non-dependent in the notes. There are various definitions from the UK census uh, describing what they mean by that. So we can see that uh, is a very technical and limited definition of family, and it is very purpose-driven in order to provide services and data for national statistical purposes. I'm quite sure we would want to get pretty quickly onto the biblical perspective of the family. And um, I went to gotquestions.org, where there is a a brilliant little article, little blog on the family. And uh, we know anyway a, a great deal about this, so I won't spend a lot of time on it. The family is of high importance in the biblical revelation both practically, socially, and also theologically. It was revealed from the beginning in the Genesis 1:28 verse, it says, and God blessed them. That is the man and the woman. Uh, he blessed them, having made them together, uh, co-bearers uh, of the image of God. And God blessed them. Very important point. Incidentally, I'll be talking a bit about this tomorrow, what it means to be under the blessing of God in our Sunday service. And then God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So the gotquestions.org statement is this, God's plan for creation was for men and women to marry and have children. A man and a woman would form one flesh union through the marriage in Genesis 2.24, and they, with their children, become a family, the essential building block of human society. Picking up one or two points from this biblical revelation, male and female both carry the image of God, and in this amazing miracle, they procreate image bearers. So it's not just a biological procreation. God is involved in stamping his image personally 
upon every human being born into the planet, every human being indeed conceived in the womb. Um, and that's very important for us in our apologetics, in our law, in our social policy, in our desire to move towards social justice and many of the things which are based on the dignity of human beings. Second thing is this one flesh union. Now, uh, for this reason, shall a man leave his mother and father, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That one flesh very often is interpreted as the physical union, and of course it includes that. But it's much more than that. We read in Corinthians that uh, he that is joined in sexual intercourse to a woman is one flesh with her. Um, and it's more than a physical union. It is a union which is deeper than that. I believe it has obviously emotional, psychological um, uh, connotations and also spiritual connotations. It's the joining of two people together. And in God's purpose, this was for man and woman in marriage to be joined together in a sacred union. You're probably aware that uh, some branches of the Christian church, the Catholic and uh, Anglo-Catholic traditions, speak about marriage as a sacrament. And while I don't agree with their reasons, I can understand why. It is a sacred union, and it's this sacred union that is under threat by promiscuity, immorality, um, uh, adultery, and also um, sex between people of the same gender, same-sex unions. And so what is so special about this is it's a reflection of and it's a witness to the covenant relationship of God with his people, with his family. Think about how God connects with us. There is covenantal commitment. That's why sex outside of a covenantal commitment of marriage is outside of God's purpose. It's outside of God's order. And it's, it's more than just ordering society. God is saying something extremely important to us through marriage and through family, which must be upheld. It's covenantal. Also, it's permanent. Um, uh, Jesus says that which God has joined together, let no one separate. It's a permanent. We cannot be separated from the love of God, from the covenantal love of God. That's why marriage is for life and divorce uh, is at worst sinful and at best, extremely painful, even in if you agree that there are certain biblically legitimate grounds for divorce in the eyes of God. There is a commitment, a commitment which is total. So in the sexual union, the man and the woman give each themselves to each other totally. It is a total self-giving, which is, which is impossible outside of a covenantal, committed and faithful relationship. And just to throw something in, I, I, in thinking in terms of gender, we often wonder why does God reveal himself? God is above gender. Why does he reveal himself in masculine personal pronouns? Why is he he? And I think the answer is here. It's important. It's not just a cultural thing in an ancient uh, male-dominated patriarchal society. Actually, it is a spiritual revelation. So uh, God is seen as the husband and the father. Jesus Christ is 
the husband to the church. And so the gender distinctions here are very important for theological revelation. And this is uh, part of the covenant, part of the creation covenant, the creation mandate. So it's very important. We'll explore that on, on another time, but I thought that was an important thing to say. Then we also see that this is part of the dominion mandate, which is the command to build community, society, family. According to God's great plan, the big picture, the big story is God's love for humanity and his desire to build a very big family. So whether we talk about Christ and his church, the bride, the children of the family or the family itself being named by the father in heaven, all of this is very important. So um, God's plan is to have a very big family. So it stands to reason that men and women in marriage and building family will have a key part to play in the establishing of God's plan and purpose on the earth. All right, so that's a brief survey of uh, how we can start to define family and also what is the biblical perspective or at least a tiny slice of that biblical perspective. Now I want to move on to have a look at what does family look like today? What are the kind of families that we have today? And this is where we see a lot of um, diversity of approaches culturally across different nations and also some of the major changes that are taking place. Just to let you know that from 1996 to 2010, household was defined as a person living alone or a group of people living at the same address who have the address as their only or main residence and either share um, one main meal a day or share living accommodation or both. So a lot of thought has been given to how they should calibrate family. But from 2010 onwards, 2011 onwards, it's defined as one person living alone or a group of people not necessarily related living at the same address, who share cooking facilities and share a living room, sitting room or dining area. So there is obviously, in terms of the, the way that the government and uh, statutory agencies are defining family, there is a changing face of family. The key thing, there's a group of people not necessarily related. So the idea of the conjugal family is being replaced by a broader concept that is not just blood relatives, but people who live together at the same address, share cooking facilities. And so in that sense, um, maybe we could say number one Kensington Park Road hosts families. Well, there we go. So here we see the changing face of family. And uh, in the notes, I take you to wikieducator.org, looking at a cultural, anthropological and social institutional look at the family. And uh, so I got these points from that website. But essentially, family defines obligations. That's a key thought. Obligations that, keep, that group members have to one another, both economically and socially. And again, it's pointed out that generally family members live together, but that is not always the case. So we're seeing the changing face of the family even breaking out of the flexibility set by the UK census uh, definitions in 2011. So people are families, but they're not necessarily live together. That's an interesting concept. 
and what it means when you're looking at how we can help families, that there may be people who are considered to be part of the family who are not living at home. So perhaps Amanda and I could uh, speak, and we do speak, of Elizabeth who lives in Brazil as part of the family, and we feel that we're still family and we're still close. We share Zoom, but we don't share room very often. So quickly going over some of the major uh, uh, family uh, types of families. The nuclear family, by this, it's not just uh, mother, father and 2.0 or 1.4 kids. It's uh, married partners and their offspring. In other words, it's a, a conjugal family. So it's not necessarily just the traditional nuclear family of Western societies, but nuclear families are usually made of married partners and their offspring. And it's common in industrial societies, but it's not the most common type of family in the world, although this uh, practice is spreading through modern development. Some anthropologists identify a second type of nu nuclear family, second type, uh, and this is the non-conjugal family I referred to earlier. In this type of nuclear family, there is one parent with dependent children, not necessarily blood relatives. Then there's the polygamous family, which is composed of multiple spouses and dependent children. So this anthropological analysis puts all those together in what they call the nuclear family, slightly broader than what we might expect. Then of course, there's the extended family, and that is the most common type of family in the world, in the majority world, and also increasingly in the non-majority world, the minority world in which we live, the extended family. And this includes at least three generations, grandparents married and uh, the offspring, children and grandchildren. Then we see very commonly today also joint families. This is composed of sets of siblings, their spouses and their dependent children, sets of siblings um, with their spouses and their dependent children. So. Um, there's more than what we might consider to be more than one family unit living together jointly. Then the blended family is also becoming more common, especially in industrial societies. That's when there's a blended family is formed when divorced or widowed parents who have children and they marry. And so we have step parents and step siblings. And now what is also very interesting to me, and it came out when I was doing a lot of my research in Brazil in the millennial generation who prize family very highly. They may have separated themselves from their blood family, from their biological family, may have very serious ruptures with that, but actually build together new families, family by choice. Um, and um, this is... Uh, um, popularized by the LGBTQ, gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, queer community, described to describe a family not recognized by any legal system. It's a family by choice. It can include adopted children, it can include live-in parents, it can include relatives of each member of the household and close friends. But also a family by choice is being practiced by unmarried people and families who move away from the consanguine, that is the blood-related family. So there might be people who share kitchen facilities, they may be 
living together in a flat sharing situation, and they really do consider themselves family. So those um, are some of the changing faces of family today. Uh, and that's the end of my first presentation. So what I suggest we do now is take a look at um, questions or observations. Um, in the second part, I'm going to look at uh, typical pressures that the family is facing and what we can do about them. But at the moment, in the description of family and the changing face of families in our society, let's see if we have observations or questions. Now, I'm not following the comments or the chat at the moment, so I'll rely on Ron and others in the panel to do that. Thanks, thanks Colin. Uh, there are no questions. For those of you who have come in, or well, quite a few of you have come in while Colin's been speaking, welcome. So glad you've joined us today. Um, so for those of you who have joined us, uh, we are, today's meeting is broken into two parts. Colin's uh, leading the first hour of the plenary session, uh, and then we'll break out into the individual Giants meetings. Uh, he's just spoken briefly, and we have a 10-minute section right now where we're going to interact. Colin will come back on for another 20 minutes, and we'll get a second period where we interact. So you can participate. If you have a question, throw it in the chat. We'll try to get along to it. Now, I've asked a couple um, of the members of the panel, and for those of you who came in later, members of the panel, this is just a subset of those who lead our individual Giants programs. We have many, many, many of our church members who help us lead, and they'll be more involved in the second part of the meeting. But uh, we've got some of the faces you see are some of the active leaders. I'm gonna ask uh, if a couple of people get ready, uh, David Parfit, Karina Hassani Jess, uh, Baba and um, Wally, who have spoken briefly. Comment, like, so let's, let's start with you, David, uh, as a dad and in your work as a school governor, what, what's your observations and what some of the content that Collins mentioned in that first section? where the definition, the model, the family seems to have changed. What, what, what have you noticed? You know, this is such a good topic to be dealing with at the moment because there's, um, the government is very aware, I believe, that relationships are the cornerstone of society. And I, I've, in the recent guidance from the government, which is about introducing compulsory relationships education into schools, there's been a bit of a kickback from the Christian community saying, well, should we really be doing this? You know, the schools teaching the children how to, you know, what a, what a family is and what a marriage is. But, but at, the, at the heart of it, there's, there's an issue. You know, the family structure in society is disintegrating. There is a way in which, you know, the, the tenants, are, uh, you know, especially Christian marriage has been kind of glossed over bypassed and there's a gaping hole and we and and the the reason why the government launched this relationships education compulsory relationships education in the introduction to that um, guidance from the government it says that we want children to be in safe and healthy families we want them to be in a safe and a healthy environment because of course you have to remember that this has a massive expense social care is has a colossal budget you know it's it's exploding it's mushrooming there's such a demand on the pocket you know economically it's a it's draining resources because you know we're, we're having to hold up all these mental um you know well-being issues um and i believe that the government can see this and it's, it's beginning to address it so this week i was called into school by 
um, two teachers who wanted to talk to me about the relationships policy and to make sure that it was really meeting the needs of the children. So as a Christian, I was able to go in and, and help them. They wanted reassurance that they were making the right choices, that they were meeting the needs of the pupils. And a lot of, a lot of um, teachers feel not so confident. You know, when they're, when they're dealing with moral issues and family issues, they want reassurance. And as a Christian, I was able to do that with some great resources from the Christian Institute. So we have a role to play. And I think what Colin is introducing here is that the church needs to understand we have a role to play. We have something, you know, in creating safe and healthy environment for children to grow up in. It doesn't mean that we go in and say, if you are not married, you know, it's a, it's a, it's blasphemy. We get all religious and passionate in that way. But what we can do, we can show the best. We can show the best and we can demonstrate that the Christian model of marriage is a safe and secure model to follow. And I think that's what we have to offer society at the moment. So it's, hopefully that's helpful. Yeah, thanks so much, David. I mean, I love when Colin defined how God laid it out, male and female, one flesh, reflections of God's covenant relationship. And with that comes some sense of permanence and then our instruction or call to build community, build families. I mean, we have the role model. So when we start measuring against something, it's already written out for us. And thank you, David, for your observations and how that's uh, moved. Um, so uh, Colin, a question has come in. I'm, I'm not sure if you'll be able to answer this, but I'll try. Is fostering not part of the family? Uh, the person says, I didn't hear anything on fostering. Yeah, well, um, that was, um in response to a question that had come in the chat. Um, how can we make looked after children feel much more part of the church family? How can we reach, um, reach, reach out to them and fostering? Yes. So when uh, fostering, of course, you are bringing somebody into that, your family and, and, and that is very important. Um, and so the old idea of orphanages has, has been much more replaced by people being brought, brought into families. And there is a biblical passage on this. God takes the solitary, solitary and puts them into families. And what I think is very important for us is to have confidence in is that the church is, is a church family. And, and this is why it's so important that we express church within a defined community or defined communities. Today with the, the reach uh, online, people are just zooming in, literally zooming in and out of different church services all over the world. And they're not uh, understanding how vital it is to be identified with a church family, where there's pastoral care, where there is where the people who are particularly gifted and called to minister to a particular family to a spiritual household. So belonging to a church family is very, very important, but also to understand, for all of us to understand that the church is a family and uh, we can help model community living, family living in this extended multi-generational and for our, in our case, uh, very multi-ethnic way and so this is a huge resource. It's a huge shop window to, uh, for the world to look in and see uh, how relationships operate, not only the individual family units which make up church life, but how those individual family units share resources, uh, care for one another and extend 
uh, the kind of help to one another and encouragement as families. So I, I just feel very positive about this. We have so many resources. And particularly when we come into the second section, where we look at the problems that families are facing, that we can go do so with confidence. Thanks, Colin. Uh, Fumi, we got your message about your experience with working for a charity that advocates looked after children and care leavers. We can definitely use your help. So I've made a note of that. Thank you so much for offering that. Um, let me just take a point of view from one more person or one more group. And we, let's do this really briefly. Let's go to Karine and Hassani Jess, um, heavily involved in different aspects of the kids' ministry at church, um, uh, parents of young family. Karine and Hassani, your observations of uh, what's, what you see shifting relative to that blueprint, that model that Colin described. Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, I think one of the things that occurs to me um, looking through uh, Colin's message was a family definition that I think is missing from that from that list. And I think it's one that we all recognise, which is the broken family. Um, and that's the family that's one of those parents has decided to abdicate their responsibilities um, for the rest of that family. And I think that is a, the type of family that is really pervasive um, through our, our culture um, today, whether the father has left or a mother who's got ill or whatever the, the situation. And I think the proliferation of broken families has really encouraged all these other types of fam, um, replacements to, to be created to try and fill that gap, to try and fill, fill that void. And I think the, the message from one of the sisters about foster care, um, adoption um, and things like that, which are, un unless somebody has died and someone's um, left without their parents, but these are things that are there to take care of um, the wreckage that many of us would have experienced. I know I've been, I've come from a broken family myself. Many of us will know people who come from um, a broken family, or many of us may be part of that ourselves for a number of reasons. And I think as a church, that is also something that we can do to say as a church family, how can we um, step into that gap? How can we um, fill that void? And I know in the children's ministry, we do that a lot. So in the children's ministry, a big part of that is, okay, how can we um, empathise um, with our children? with our church children, some of them who do not come from broken families, and we thank God for that. That's how it should be. They're a great example to everybody else, um, and some who do. Um, and how can we um, help them to foster a, a healthy relationship with God, a healthy relationship with those around them, um, so that they can then not perpetuate um, that broken family kind of situation. So that was just one of my observations. Um, yes, well, I think uh, you're right. Um, when we look at what are the influences in the changing face of the family, it is about brokenness, broken marriages, broken families, and that's why we are seeing this huge range. I mean, with the with the millennium millennial people, many of them, and I I, I work even here in London with uh, young millennials that they they are, are looking for fatherhood they they're looking they don't want anything to do with their with their natural family uh, or their biological family and so they are building families and the government's definitions has just got broader and broader and broader because of the brokenness in family that um, in black families in white families that there's this brokenness the absent father figure is gone 
And we as a church through Boys to Men and other means in the youth ministry, kids ministry are, are, are working there. We can bring healing, even when it's not realistic to see broken families literally uh, physically repaired. But it's because of the breakdown in the family. And that I know the churches have been saying that for years, but it really is true. It's the breakdown in marriage. It's the breakdown in family. It's uh, people abdicating responsibilities, divorce, remarriage, um, and uh, people having children outside of the marriage covenant. All of this brokenness is a good word. And it also is a shift away from God's order. Now, we can't simply come into that brokenness and impose God's order over brokenness. Um, but what we can do is exhibit health and healing and welcome and bring people into family experiences that are more wholesome and help uh, families repair that brokenness as much as possible. Yeah. Thanks, Colin. Corinne, you had, you had something you wanted to say? Really? Yeah, I, I was just going to say um, completely agreed um, with what Hassani was saying then, what's been said already. And um, just looking at the, you know, the traditional family unit, I mean, I think the, the key thing is to remember that, you know, I think because of all these extra family um, models that are coming in, what's happening is the traditional family is actually being squeezed. Um, and we're seeing, you know, a sense that, you know, it's it's not necessarily popular now to kind of suggest that you are a normal nuclear family with a husband and wife and children. And even, you know, within our children who are at, you know, different ages, between the ages of three and 14, We've got four children, you know, their own interpretation when they're coming back from school now is is getting very um, hazy, would I say. Um, and so I think in all of it, the damage that is being done is actually to the traditional family structure. And it's not to negate, you know, the different other families or the fact that, you know, different circumstances happen. But I think if that traditional family structure really disintegrates, I think, you know, the only thing that can come from that is problems. Um, you know, and also there's there's a very strong agenda in the schools right now to really kind of push, you know, um, a kind of what do they call it? They call it gender. Um, you know, we shouldn't uh, adhere to gender constructs is what my, my kids have been taught in their PSHE lesson. So, you know, there's no absolute there's no absolute thing as saying you're a man or you're a woman or you're a boy or a girl because um, everything is fluid. So um, that kind of you know discussion or that kind of um agenda that is being pushed is actually very difficult for traditional families and sometimes it feels it feels like we're left out in 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 this not necessarily within the church context but obviously we all go out into the world and we're all trying to to navigate and and you know show the love of Christ where we can so yeah I just wanted to add that as well thanks, thanks so much Karin um, Peter yes how important is it to model the family? Extremely important, my friend. That's why we have webinars like this today. People will do what they see, absolutely. Okay, let's let's go on to Colin's second session and then we'll have a few more minutes at the end to discuss it further. Over okay, you, thank you very much. But just let me pick up from that last point. I would go further than the use of the term traditional family. That might be useful as language um, when we are discussing with wider society, but just what does traditional mean? I certainly believe that the individualism in the minority world 
is extremely damaging to family. So you have a husband and wife, um, whatever number of children, uh, birth rates are dropping. Um, and, um, you know, I know it can be taken to extremes, but there is a saying in Africa that it takes a village to raise a child. And uh, now we can extend that into the church family. And so we've got a lot of resources. So my, I, I want us to focus on biblical models of family, which are not necessarily, well, certainly can't be limited to the modern Western nuclear family, but what are the biblical values of family? And of course, it's very difficult in the wider community to be talking about the Bible says, this is what the Bible says, and so on. But uh, we, we can find language and words that describe it because uh, it is about uh, fidelity within marriage. It's about uh, 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 no sex outside of marriage. It is uh, uh, about uh, sexual purity within marriage. And it is about uh, be marriages being permanent. The divorce rate amongst believers is, is ridiculously high. And these are the values that we have to stand for. But you cannot simply take those uh, the God's order and impose it upon the brokenness around us. What we have to do is to demonstrate that God's order is good, it is clean, it is pure, it is fruitful, it brings blessing. And people then ask questions about that and they want to be part of that. And so very important for Christian families to be exhibiting Christ's love within the families and also to be including others into the family, not hiving off God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy, Holy Family. In other words, it is a, a very tight unit. It, those, the family has to be open to receive people, broken people from outside. And then also to be honest about the fact that many, many families are broken within the church. Many families are broken within the church. And so we have to get our own house in order, but it's, it's from a, a, a perspective of love and of redemption, reconciliation, healing and growth. And one, once again, all of this comes out of what God says to us biblically, the biblical understanding in its fullness, not just proof texts and verses, but really using the scripture in an enlightened way to minister uh, to people against the culture. It is, cult it is sometimes counterintuitive, but it's certainly nearly always countercultural. So it is having our minds formed by God's ideas and, and understanding in our narrative, the big story of why um, marriage is so important, why sex outside of marriage is so out of God's order because of the sacred nature of what God is saying and what God is doing in families. And I'm not so sure that people walk around each day with that in their minds when they, when they talk about brokenness, when they talk about families and talk about the pressures that we're under. So uh, that's just to point us forward. Now moving uh, quickly on, let me just run through uh, family pressures. Now you can add to this list, just to say again, to those who've joined us, we have our webinar notes for you in the chat. You can, you can click on that and you can follow on, on a PDF. There are 
enormous pressures on the family today and they are increasing. Um, you know, let me just run, run down the list. There's economic stress, and this will include such things as housing, education, nutrition, income, jobs, family time, such a stress when people have more than one job and so on, and even working from home, family time, pure family time is under stress. Then the COVID-19 effects. We, we can talk about the isolation, the grief, mental health issues, marital stress, domestic violence, family breakdown. Also the harmful behaviors that have been exacerbated through the COVID uh, lockdowns. Harmful behaviors such as drugs, alcohol, pornography, addiction to social media, and addiction to gaming, online gambling, sexual immorality. Incidences of this are really very, very high amongst our families in the church before we start talking about outside. Also, there's this thing I alluded to earlier, lack of church community. Now, uh, webinar is great. And today, I am so sure that I want to continue doing webinars even after lockdown. You didn't have to travel. You can just log in from home and we can be very efficient in time. And as you see in my discipline, when we present um, in a webinar, uh, we make sure that people have the information. It's not long preaching, getting material across very quickly. Um, but what is missing is face-to-face -face interaction. If we were doing this in the church building, by probably by now we'd be having a coffee break and we can chat to one another. But also people, uh, online church community is no complete substitute for face-to-face -face community. It troubles me that I'm hearing a lot from some of you and those you know that you're not really thinking about coming back to the church. Some are saying maybe not ever, they're gonna stay online um, and some very, very slowly. We've got to get out of the mental blocks of lockdown and lack of church community will destroy so much of what we've been talking about, which is positive contribution from the church. Another thing through this is false doctrine. It's a, I'm astonished at what people are listening to online uh, and during lockdown, the false doctrines that are coming out, the conspiracy theories, people on the fringe of the church and how these are, just because it's a conspiracy doesn't mean to say it's a theory. All right, there are conspiracy facts, but the more extreme edges of this, like the, like the um, uh, vaccine is, is the mark of the beast nothing is more ridiculous in terms of the facts and nothing is more outside what the bible really talks about about the mark of the beast so biblically ignorant people are picking up all kinds of stuff which is having an effect on our fellowship i know whole cell groups that have left because of conspiracy theories distrust in authority other pressures from society some of the things being mentioned today uh, about gender constructs and everything. We covered a great deal of this in our woke seminar, which was to do with um, all of these issues last time. So make sure you follow that through. We tackled identity politics, sexuality, gender, and looked at the cultural changes and understood uh, what is going on uh, in, uh, with identity politics. Um, and But in, in our society, biblical teaching is toxic. This is harmful. Bible teaching is harmful. A statement like this, marriage is God-given 
for the union of man and woman in covenant relationship for life, excluding, of course, same-sex marriages and so on. That uh, and, and God's given you a biological gender, which is unalterable. The issue of intersex is another matter. But uh, uh, linking uh, a gender to biology is not only scientifically correct, but also it is biblical teaching. Uh, male and female, he made them. Now, this is toxic, socially heretical teaching, and we could be cancelled simply for saying that. And that will have, uh, therefore, the idea of a traditional family, which was mentioned earlier, or a, a Bible-based understanding of family, that's toxic. Uh, and we will be hauled over the coals for doing that. Huge pressures on family. And this is coming from and affecting all the sectors in society. All the giants, all the giants are part of that. That's why we've asked the giants, all of you, to be with us today. Media, both traditional and social media, uh, is putting pressure on the family, putting ideas which are not godly and not biblical uh, and not traditional, to use that term. From education, as they mentioned, film, drama, soap operas. Also, family boundaries boundaries are being breached. The move in Scotland, where every child would have some kind of uh, the secular equivalent of a godparent uh, outside the family to watch out for that child from birth to adulthood, uh, is an encroachment. It might be useful if it, for delivering of social services and care and support. But there is this kind of invasion on the private space of the family, what we're allowed to teach our children and how our teaching in, in our biblical teaching at home, how that is being uh, um, 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 anti that, uh, that is uh, being contradicted and um, children are actually uh, placed under suspicion when they come from conservative, socially conservative families. And also traditional conservative families such as ours tend to be more closed. We have firm boundaries limiting outside cultural influences. And how does this get pushed back when we come to adolescence, when uh, there is the testing of those boundaries and, and uh, very closed families need to be more flexible and open their, their boundaries so that the, the children can learn and can find their own uh, uh, place in society. Um, but society now favors more open family systems because of the breakdown of biblical family in our understanding and in culture. Um, you know, those are uh, being, well, they're not in favor. Uh, what is in favor, what is being promoted is far more open family systems where people can invent the family um, and build family according to their own values. Now, I think we have to be balanced here. I think that um, we have a high proportion of people who are single in the church and they are included in this seminar today on family. And how do we provide family settings, open up families to them and help them build quasi family structures so that <clears throat> they can uh, deal with their loneliness and they can learn about social interaction and get some healthy role models going when they finally build their own family. And also increasingly people who are, who are ho homeless, people who are shut in at home and people who are uh, elderly. So we have to um, see that all of this is putting huge pressures on families. I am 
a family, two homeless people in my neighborhood. They're not the kind of people who want to come into my house. They don't want to sleep in my spare bedroom, but I have adopted them and they regard me in this way. And it's not just about handouts, but it's about relationship. And there's so much that we can do. Anyway, I'm, I'm moving on into what to do about it. But let me finish with adolescence. There's a lot of pressure in, in church families and our KTLCC families coming from adolescents, emerging adults who tend to push boundaries and identify their own uh, uh, self-identity through, through belief systems, um, open to outside influences, peer groups and role models. And they're questioning life at home compared with life at school among their peers. And, and frankly, I think many parents within Kensington Temple are ill-equipped. They don't have the vocabulary, they don't have the understanding and don't have the sensitivity it's about the Bible says, if you are gay, you're going to hell. That was actually uh, quoted um, in a Lado meeting. And we are struggling to bring uh, the, the right story across and to exhibit it. And the authoritarian approach in the family without the sense of discussion, listening to people's points of views and showing uh, children, showing children, not just telling children, why you not just say the bible says well that doesn't ring true so we have a young teenage woman a teenage girl and she says i believe that where two people uh, love each other that, that that's okay to have sex not that i'm going to do it but of course she's going to do it if she believes that and then to turn around to that adolescent and say well the bible says it's sin that is not the story that is not even the beginning of the story we've got to learn the whole story and also develop the flexibility for age-appropriate boundaries. Uh, are they too tight or too loose? That's the areas that we tend to go on. So all of this shows their enormous pressures on the family. And you can add to those lists. But I think I've got the main categories. But more importantly, what to do? What do we do about this? First thing, um, we go to the giants and we ask the giants to focus on the family. What can your sector do to help families? What does law, education, national health service, medical, um, and so on, sport, what do those do? How can you bring your giant to help families? Because family uh, crosses them all. And then what can I do within my sector to protect families and to be an influence for biblical family values in wider society? Very significant, high on your agenda. And later on, when you meet and you look at what you can do, there's two things which are of high priority in my mind, racism and family. And again, those, those two things can sometimes come together. But in your giant groupings, Look at how you can say, what can we do to strengthen the family for, by being an influence for uh, biblical family values, family values in wider society? Then there's the issue of educating, resourcing and supporting, equipping families with the tools, with the support and practical help they need. One of the ways we can do this is through family seminars. Can you imagine if we just drew up some kind of agenda from our discussions today, 
then addressed those in turn in more detail with more participation, drawing on our collective wisdom, biblical teaching, experience, bringing some experts in, um, and um, then also looking at what we might call single parent families, so the, 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 so the broken families that some people are talking about, single parent and broken families, which are often single parent, but families can be broken even though they're living together in the same household. That's what lockdown found. The incidence of marital breakdown shot up marital violence. Family problems came to a head because the way broken families survive is by sleeping maybe in the same, under the same roof, but, but total separate lives. So we've got the solitary, the bereaved, the divorced, the elderly, the housebound. Then we have a number of common uh, problems, addictions. Um, um, what, what do we do when you discover your teenage child is on drugs, uh, alcohol, addicted to pornography, experimenting with success, wants to come out to you as being same-sex attracted or saying that they feel that they are uh, a man in a woman's body or, or vice or a woman in a man's body. What about disability, health, including mental health, poverty, unemployment, low income, housing issues? I've mentioned domestic abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, marital problems. Well, by giving, providing care, support, premarital preparation, support during first years of marriage, support when children come along, that's where. Um, families break down the most. That's a single reason for family breakdown. A relational breakdown is when unmarried people start to have children. Uh, crisis support, marriage development and enrichment courses. Which brings me on to just uh, a, a final thing I want to say. It's very important. We'll have to develop this on another time. And that is to introduce robust family counselling into our church life and network. Um, I have recently qualified as a counsellor according to secular qualifications, in addition to my years of biblical counselling and, and uh, pastoral counselling. And there is an increasing emphasis on family counselling. And you can see on the screen family systems counselling, which uh, is a very important approach. And um, so... One of the approaches to this is to approach the family as a system and recognize that if there is a, a child, maybe an adolescent with delinquent behavior, drug, alcohol problems, uh, sexual sex problems or, or uh, immorality, this is a family problem. It's not an individual problem. Don't bring your kids to the church and say, fix my kids. It's the family that is broken. It's the family that needs to be fixed. And that's a humbling thing. And there is uh, studies show that when family systems develop healthier interactions and patterns of interacting and patterns of communication, then the problem, whether it's drug taking, delinquency, mental health, or what have you, significantly diminishes. So there's a new approach to uh, uh, treating the family as a whole and ministering to the family as a whole that I believe we must significantly uh, take some significant steps forward. So there's much that we can do, but we can all do something. Marriage and the family are both the bedrock and the building blocks of society. It was God's idea 
and a revelation of his heart touching the story, the big story of God, the whole story of God. He also touches every sector of life and living and society. We're all called to work for it, to witness to it, whether we are married, unmarried, bereaved, divorced, lone parents, parents with children, parents with no children, children with no parents, and broken families. God's love is for all and must be shared with all. We must all work to build better families and demonstrate God's plan, his family, which is on earth and in heaven. So that's a bit of analysis of the problems and some uh, you can see in your notes, uh, all those that I've detailed, I've hurried over them in the presentation, but they're there for you. All right, back to you, Ron. Thank you so much, Colin, for that session on the pressures on the family, as well as some suggestions on what we can do. A reminder that when we break out into the groups, we will be having discussions about what we can do, turning it into practical next steps. Thank you so much for the many more of you who have joined us. So we're up to 132 right now. That's absolutely fantastic. A question has come in about, will, is the webinar recorded? Absolutely. Um, we'll post it on KTTV alongside with the notes uh, sometime next week. So yes, you can definitely have a second look at it. Um, and for those who came in a little bit later, uh, to let you know again, today's meeting is broken down into two parts. We were going to spend some time with Colin in the first hour, and then in the second uh, part of the meeting, we'll break out into groups to try and move some of these action steps to the next step. But uh, let's hear from a couple of panelists. We just have a few minutes now where we're going to. Can I suggest we extend this time just a little bit because the interaction time went, went well over 10 minutes, and there's obviously a need for that. So uh, let's not cut this too short bearing in mind that, of course, more discussion will follow in the groups. But I'm particularly interested to hear of any other family problems that was not on the list. And also um, uh, make sure you have in front of you the, the, the section on uh, how what we are to do, what are some of the solutions, so that uh, you can interact with that list and add to that list as well. Uh, thank you. Now, um, let's see, is, is Amanda on? Because Amanda, you had a question that came in to you. I'm wondering if you would read it out to us. Well, if Amanda's not there, maybe we will. Yes, Amanda is here. Okay. I am here, yes. You might uh, read the question out. The question that's just come in, it's an anonymous question. And it asks the question, um, if a spouse is not interested in the marriage, does one stay there or leave? Oh, so um, it, look, this is this is an uh, an issue of marital counselling. It's not exactly what we're, what we're talking about today, but it does illustrate a problem, and this is a serious problem, and it's quite common where marriages are not healthy, and what needs to happen for is for that couple to be together in marriage counseling to have a look at what the issues are so no you know if somebody's not interested you don't just leave marriage is a covenant it requires work and it does require two parties but i think that we're all too easy affected 
by our modern culture, which is if it doesn't feel good, if it isn't working out, if I can't make it what I want it to be, then the best way is out. Many young people go into marriage, including Christians, young Christians. Well, we'll do this. If it doesn't work, we can always get divorced. Of course, my parents never get divorced, but they're the old generation. That's the old people. They put up with everything. I'm not prepared to put up with that because my highest value is my happiness. And so there's a lot of issues there. But definitely um, what I was talking about, uh, family and marriage counselling, so much is to do with the patterns of interaction um, and uh, communication. And it's not just about uh, simple communication skills. It's interaction, patterns of interaction. And some negative patterns of interaction are uh, rooted in, in early childhood. And a lot of it has to do with a person's heart condition before God. So, no. OK, that's that's probably enough on that question. Thanks, Colin. Let, let me go to a couple um, men from who are long timers, Kensington Temple members, and they have families, they've grown families within the Kent, even while being a Kensington Temple. I wanted to pick up on a specific point that Colin raised in his second session, which is um, when you're growing up a child in a family setting, according to the blueprint, the boundaries might be a touch easier to define and to implement than in some of the newer models we're seeing where the fa family seems to be a touch more fragmented. So this whole concept of boundaries and how you actually grow your kids up in the fear of the Lord, according to the model. Let's hear from Wally right after, Wally, if we can hear from Baba really briefly. Yeah, hello. Um, I hope you can hear me clearly. Yes, we can. Excellent. Um, uh, uh, regarding growing the family, uh, we we have um, four. We have four children from age five to sixteen, and um, from our experience, um, growing them takes a lot of um, groundwork that needs to have been done beforehand. They do face a lot of pressure going going to school because we've got two in primary school, one two in secondary and one just finished secondary. They bring a lot of things from school home and then we will need to deal with those things. But it's been quite easy, perhaps, um, maybe that's not the right kind, kind of word to use, but we've had a lot of um, support because many, all of those children have been born in Kensington Temple. They've gone through the KT, they've gone through the KT Kids Ministry. It's quite easy as parents for us to try to claim to claim success for what is happening to them. However, when you look at the impact of the KT Kids Ministry along the ages, they've prepared them for a lot of the things they face in school. They've prepared them for things we have not even thought about. And, so, and when we add that to a lot of the groundwork we've done, and also knowing fully whether children can see through you, so you have to lead by example. And when we put all this together, I, I, I think, doing a lot of work in the background, going through the schools, knowing the policies that the schools have, reading them and talking to them beforehand, knowing where the law stands and where the law of God stands, I think it's, it's been fairly, it's been much easier and helpful to be able to deal with the problems before they arose. So in our experience, I think that is it. I, I wonder if that answers your question. Yeah, it, partly, but you, you must run into families or friends of the family 
where the model is not as clean cut, where it's it falls into one of the categories where it's adjusting or changing. And um, so it's fantastic to hear of the resources you see available at Kensington Temple that makes it a touch easier to, to, to help monitor and provide guidelines. But have you run into situations where someone or someone you know has, it's up, clearly observable that there are issues with respect to administering boundaries the way you would for your sons, for example? Uh, yes, I do, uh, either at home or at work. And I try to, as Pascal, all the things that I mentioned the first part, I looked at that a lot, even at work, and I move it to what exactly we know and what is available to 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 what and what's available to other people. And for, for us is to try to understand where people are coming from, but knowing fully well where we stand. For for, for example, re recently there are a lot of a lot of things coming out of um being non-binary, uh, gender queer, and we've had to educate, of course, in age-specific ways, educate these children because they have friends who fall into this category or who believe in this or people who are questioning their own identity, even at a very young age of 15, 16. So we've got to let them realize in the best way we can that when God speaks about male and female in Genesis 1, I think it was 27 to 28, it was quite clear. And anything outside of that concept of male and female as laid down by God is an affront against God. And um, because if male and female carry the image of God, and whose image are the other people carrying? And when God bless them, who is blessing these other, other, other relationships? So that's where we stand. But that's not to go out and judge the others. We need to understand where they're coming from and let the children know exactly what scripture says. It's absolute. It's, it's not yeah, related to that. Yeah. But you see, th this, this, this is exactly my point. How you communicate that and how you explain that is far, far more than sitting your children down and even in an age-appropriate way telling them God says no, the Bible says no, this is outside of the will of God, this is sin. We have to go deeper than that and we have to win their hearts um, imposing even biblical standards, pushing in an authoritarian way. We, the boundaries are biblical. We don't, we don't blur those boundaries. But how do we accept and love people who have themselves already crossed those boundaries? How do we compare and compete with the loving, inclusive, everything's easy, everything's right, we love everybody, which is very appealing um, uh, from from outside from the world with our harsh no God says you, you know your sin you're going to hell or all that kind of stuff we need to do a whole lot more thinking of what the big story is and what is we call it the apologetic and the apologetic the biggest apologetic is the story of God's love and his order flows from his love and his purpose and to show how that um, all this changing face of the family, um, well, you will have widows, you will have orphans in pandemic, you have bereft, you will have immigration, you will have refugees, you will have uh, poverty, which all of this breaks down families and to have alternative models to families other than the, the biological model uh, of, of nuclear or nuclear extended family, that's a, it's a great help. 
But there are so many things more that we need to do than to sit down and quote the Bible and to be dogmatic about that. What we have to do is to show children why. So, for example, why is sex outside of marriage so wrong? Why is it so wrong? Well, it's harmful. Why is it so harmful? Because in the created order, God gave the sexual union as a covenantal expression of total commitment, the giving of yourself, body, soul, and I would also argue to an extent spiritual as a spiritual dimension. Um, Paul contrasts, uh, it says, if you are joined to the Lord, you're one spirit with the Lord. And, 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 and because your body belongs to the Lord and the Lord dwells in you, what you do with your body, you're actually involving Jesus himself in. There's a deep spiritual thing. So I think that uh, I, I must say, and I, I don't wish to be critical, but in many traditional African families, and I have to touch on this, the culture is dominant, authoritarian. This is what the Bible says. Anything outside of that, you're going to hell. Um, we have to find ways of developing an understanding that shows children at an age appropriate way that living God's way is healthy. It's a blessing. What does blessing mean? Blessing means the release of life in its fullness. And anything less than that uh, actually detracts. So I, I, I agree absolutely with what you're saying, but I just took that as an opportunity to say we have to be uh, much more nuanced and understand how to win hearts, not just to tell people what they should or shouldn't be doing, including our children. We want our children to obey the Lord, first of all, because we say so. We have that authority as parents. But as they grow and develop, we want them to know that well, for that obedience to come from their heart. And otherwise, they will just come to teenage years and just say, my repressive religious parents, I want to leave Christianity altogether or join a very liberal group. Two things to say in this, which I think is important. The kids' ministry is very crucial to this. We need to help equip it, equipping the kids' leaders so that, that because they are facing, they're right at the, on the front line of this. Also, just one more thing. Don't forget, the cell vision is a family vision. I think people have lost sight of that. It, we, we don't separate the family. We disciple men, women, and youth in uh, uh, um, uh, homogenous groups, but they are offshoots of the family. So I often say this, if you, if you have the luxury of a big enough home where you've got uh, maybe two reception rooms and, and maybe a larger, a larger kitchen area where, you know, the, the, the women come and they, everybody joins together as a family, men, women and children. Uh, and then they go off to do their one hour session on their own where they do the things which are more uh, focused on the, the where homogenous grouping is, is much more useful. Um, but they come back together again. It's just like if you have a party, you've got some of your friends around, you will find everybody meet together, greet everybody. Then the teenagers will hive off in, in one little corner and the kids will play somewhere else and encourage them to do that. The dads will have a chat about football or tennis, depending on whether you are a heretic or not. Um, and, and women also, um, and this isn't being sexist or, or, or in any way um, 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 uh, wrong in that, but, but women, people are drawn 
to people within their own group where they can share together. So um, one of the answers to the questions which came up is, is family therapy, family counselling already happening in the church? Yes, it is, but not enough. I think that we need more training. We need people who can specialise in this on the staff. Uh, also, um, amongst our primary leaders, an awful lot of family counselling is going on, and we should encourage that. But it needs much more focus and much more equipping. I believe this is one of the major changes and new things that we can introduce into our life in the church to help families. Thanks, Colin. Let, let's, I'll, I'll go to one more panel member, then a couple of questions have come and we'll go to. Uh, Baba, let's hear from you and your observations. Um, hi. Um, yeah, so I think that um, I can share a bit in terms of observation. I'm not sure I could say much in terms of um, solution, but first I would concur that I think that um, we're living in interesting times, and I think that this particular topic that um, Pastor Colin is addressing today is is um, particularly important because um, whilst we're all facing stress, both in terms of time, impact of pandemic, and some of the obvious things that we can all um, observe, at the same time, the world around us is probably changing at a faster pace, particularly in terms of social norms, than what it has been recently. And there are the traditional norms are being challenged and probably being challenged at the pace that's difficult to keep up with. And the compound effect of stressful lifestyle, family situation combined with this is particularly difficult. And one of my observations is that what makes it challenging is that a lot of the changes that are occurring or the challenge to what will term as traditional family norms are always couched in tolerance. And so therefore it makes it particularly difficult to grapple with because of course um, they all have a veneer around the presentation of it that it's about tolerance, it's about allowing people to do what they feel right and what they feel comfortable with. And of course, as a message, it's, it can be quite persuasive. Um, now, our children go to, to school and the environment and they engage in society and the impact and the pressure of the environment on, on their, their thought process, what they believe, what they feel is particularly, um, particularly difficult. And I think that certainly um, trying to tease out some of these influences, being able to grapple with them and find ways to shift and bring balance into it is, is difficult and the, the only thing I see is that certainly I think that one thing that we should consider is um, the importance of certainly making sure that we start with you know ourselves as individual family units and trying to find balance and make sure that we're centered in the right way to even allow us to, 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 to form a thought process where we can engage and start to influence broader society. Thank, thanks so much Baba. So, so Colin, a question has come in that says, um, and this is, it's referring to the new education that's taking place in the schools these days. It says, is there anything the church can help to prepare families who are questioning the new relationship education that's taking place at schools? Yes, well, we, we've touched on this already and we touched on this in the last, in the last um, webinar, Giants webinar, um, and David Parfit gave uh, a, a, an example of when um, 
uh, he, he as, as a governor, uh, a, a parent governor, just by simply being there and presenting language, not in the language of Zion, but in the language of liberalism, the language of the world. In other words, we have to learn to speak Babylonian. All right. Uh, the, the, those who went to Babylon, they had to learn the language and culture of the Babylonians. And if, unless we know the language, we first of all won't know what they are saying, and they won't, we won't be able to reply to them and, and, and speak their language. And so um, when it comes to this, there are things that can be done by making representation in the right way, in a, in a, in a uh, sensitive and nuanced way, because a, a lot of people are resistant to this uh, education that's going on, but it's the pressure groups that are that dominate. And some head teachers and heads of department are just waiting for one parent to present a cohesive argument, not quoting the Bible, um, but, uh, uh, but bringing biblical principles in language that people can understand because God's way makes sense. It does make sense. Um, so it's part of the broader apologetic. And I do believe that we need very quickly to help the kids ministry leaders, um, to help the parents and us as a church to help parents approach this problem in two ways. What I've just said is about just giving some pushback to this in the, where the decisions are being made. In other words, in school boards and so on at high level, educational level as well. And there are a lot of people working for the socially conservative people who are not evangelical Christians or not even Christian at all, also see this um, and find it particularly illiberal, the way viewpoints, uh, particularly on transgender issues, is being pushed on unsuspecting uh, children, really, not, not just adolescents. And the other way is to help parents communicate to their children in ways which are age appropriate and which explain and give people a vision of the bigger story. That in society, the, the person with the best story and the most story that is most commonly told is what wins. And we have to get the story out there, which is the story of God and God's love. And in the family, there's so much more. For example, the issue of gender, the issue of same-sex attraction, the issue of sex before marriage, the issue of pornography, and so many things which are tearing the family apart. And that's a given. Families are broken. That's a given. That's the presupposition of everything we're doing today. If we didn't believe families were broken, we wouldn't be doing this. But that's largely the reason why, uh, a very large reason. So, um, and I'm not so sure that even we have got that story right in our minds. And how would we explain that to a 14 year old boy who comes home, says, you know, I'm gay. How, how, would you, how would you approach that? What would you say? Uh, I do believe, Ron, I don't know. I know we're summertime. I know we're September. It's, it's very busy. 
and I will be handing over the reins. I'll still be around, as you know, in, in Kensington Temple. I'm not going anywhere, but I will be stepping aside for my senior leadership and uh, the new senior minister uh, uh, will, will pick up uh, from here. But it's so important that we do the right kind of teaching, interaction, help, resourcing, uh, and training for families in this area. And it is it is urgent. It is urgent. I mean, I think everything should be done now. I know that's that's my tendency. We have to uh, see what, what the process is, what the steps towards that are. But I would suggest we set something in motion and start preparing and planning now for the earliest feasible opportunity to address this to the wider members in the church, including single single people. I don't know how many uh, people who are single uh, believe that today was for them. I don't know. And I hope they understood it was for them. But we've got to get that message to them as well. Thanks so much for that, Colin. Yes, we'll definitely prioritize that. And it's all about the story, isn't it? How we communicate. Um, Colin, I'll take just maybe one last question and then I'll hand over to you for your closing comments. Um, how about the parents who leave schools and our church to raise their children? Some parents have sadly given up on their responsibilities and rely on these institutions way too much. Well, let, let me tell you something, which I'm sure is so obvious. Nowhere in the Bible does God hand the responsibility to of education and nurturing of children into adulthood to the state. Nowhere does it do that. Now, state intervention and, and social services and educational services are important. And there are times when state care is all, is all, all, all that there is. But the responsibility rests with us. Now, in a household, our primary responsibility is for our own children. But in the church family, we have corporate responsibility. Um, kind of, I like this uh, idea. It, it, it is, going back to the idea, it takes a village to raise a child. Many in the highly individualistic me first, in the overemphasis on the the nuclear family, I mean, just literally mother, father, and whatever, kids, as a closed, self-centered, selfish unit is what many millennials, believers, members of staff, members of staff over the years, I've seen this. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Family. Uh, the singles are left out. The housebound are left out. Multi-generations are left out. Multi-ethnicity is left out. We have to have an understanding that we can share our family and extend our family. You know, really, I'm using the word deliberately. I don't suppose I fully mean a fully extended family, but extend our family so that uh, we can we can uh, take care of one another and families caring for families. So somehow our discipleship has got to shift from individual homogenous groups only. I'm not saying we break that down, no, because the way to disciple men is by getting men together and disciple them and so on. Um, but to, to understand that 
a, a, a unit that God recognizes within the church is the family unit. And the church unit is um, a complex interrelationship with lots of families. And a truly family-friendly church is more than the church that has carpets at the front where kids can play with their toys um, and babies can be changed in privacy during the service. A family-friendly church is a family, is a church that understands the needs of the whole family and thinks in terms of family units, not just in terms of individual people. I don't even know if that answered the question, but it felt good. Yeah, <laughs> it's fine. Um, Colin, do you have any closing comments? No, really, I've done many of the things that I wanted to slip in here and there under the guise of answering a question. So I'm, I'm pretty well done. But uh, thanks, everybody, for joining. Yes, I just wanted to say one thing, just as an idea. You know, um, um, we have um, uh, um, Andrew is here. Is Andrew here? Our kids minister. I am indeed. Thank you. you, you you've been silent, but you've been a silent listener to every conversation. Thank you for what you're doing. And I know some of these things have addressed what's, what's on your heart. Eddie, are you here? Yes, Colin, I am. Okay. So uh, addressing you, you two guys and, and everybody, um, you know, in, in our ministry to families, we, we, I've mentioned it a lot. We didn't talk about it a lot, but I did raise it as one of the problems, poverty, housing, um, and all the, the needs there are on estates where you didn't touch on that and the work that you're doing, a whole lot of good stuff is happening. I was wondering whether we should extend our distribution up to people in need, families in need. It sounds so condescending. I hate that. But to as, as assistance um, is beyond beyond food to uh, I've been doing some research on assisted living pallets where. Um, I'm not so sure you're going to see it here um, um, on the screen, where we get we get together with uh, other child organisations and pull together things here. There's kitchen utensils, there's colouring books for, for children, there's uh, uh, toolkits and a, a bit of school utensil, school equipment um, to to find ways of um, either through working with other charities or by getting our own deals with surplus stock so that we start to build some kind of um, assisted, uh, giving some kind of assistance for regular living in homes, um, not, not, just, not just food. So this might be an extension of our food hub. It could be also assisted living hub. And that's just something practical. And I just love, you know, like you do, Eddie and, and, and all of you, I just hate just talking about things, you know, um, but let, acti practical action uh, is, is what is what's, and that was just an example of how we can step in, in another way, in a helpful way to assist families. Thanks so much, Colin. Right, thank you, and Imam Lydia, absolutely. We intensify our efforts of prayer along this line, along this topic. I, I've been privy to a little bit of Colin's thinking as he developed. In, for today, and uh, what he shared with us is a very small part of Colin's passion in this topic. It's quite large, um, and it's one of the reasons we've organized today, where we partly heard from Colin, but we're going to get a chance to break out into groups right now. So, wow, it's lovely to see 143 people come in, many, many of you come in. 
I, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a pitch here for those who have never been in a Giants meeting. We need you. We need you. We've got so our, our vision includes around 12 Giants. We've got eight up and running, and I'm gonna mention those to you shortly. We've got uh, leaders and a steering team in each of the eight that will be bro broken down today. But I've just posted a link into the chat. When we are ready to go into the breakout room, if you click into that link, it will take you into a Zoom meeting where you can choose which one of the giants you enter in. And hopefully all will work well. If you choose the giant of law, you'll meet with Solomon, Issachan, and a few of the lawyers. If you meet, if you choose the giant of business and finance, you'll meet Babo, Wally, Brian, Karen, and Elizabeth. If you choose the giant of education, you will meet Joan and Persia. If you choose the giant of medicine, you'll meet Vi Thomas and Drs. John and Rosemary Moore. If you choose the family giant, you'll meet Eddie, David Parfit, Andrew, Karina, Nassani, Jess, and a whole amazing bunch of people in that one. If you choose the giant of media and arts, Lola is in there with us just before she jumps on a plane. Thank you, Lola. Lola, why are you leaving us? <laughs> oh, Lola, I'm gonna call you Naughty Lola from now onwards. Come back soon. If, if you choose a philosophy, Jonathan Wilt will be there with you. And finally, if you choose politics and government, um, Peter McIlvena um, will be leading that. So when we break into the meetings, leaders, can I give you some clear objectives here, okay? We plan to finish the meeting by 12.30, so no longer than an hour. If it We are not reconvening at the end of this. So once you've accomplished your objectives, it's fine. First thing I want you to do, make a list of who's in the room. Some of these will be new individuals who are interested in joining your specific giant. Let's find out who they are. Secondly, Colin, in, his, in the second part of his discussion today, he gave us a little task, and I want to repeat that so you understand what we are trying to do in the breakout groups. He says... What can my sector or my giant do to help families, protect families, or to be an influence for biblical family values? Okay, so that's a discussion that needs to be had within the context of your meeting. And then at the very end, for those of you who were with us in the March meeting, I sent you a summary of your minutes from March. Have a look at it. Remember, you were, one, you were meant to choose one transformational area. Push it ahead. It could be that what you come out today on the discussion around family may end up being your one transformational layer. We're open to that. But if you can organize it around a tight, tight one hour, leaders make sure there's one person in charge of the meeting, okay? Somebody has got to control the agenda, make sure it's happening. I know just based on the, this first hour, many people have many ideas, perhaps even some of the questions that came up in this first session will be revisited, but I want to try and respect everyone's time who has joined us today. So let's finish up by 12.30. So joining Colin and Amanda, thank you so much for joining us. We really, really appreciate your time on a Saturday joining us for uh, webinars like this, but the webinars wouldn't be the same without you. And as I said earlier on, would love it if you can join one of the Giants group, even if you are just curious about what we do in these meetings. Come on in and get to know a few people and uh, maybe offer your inside perspective and some of your brain power that we can definitely use. Thank you so much. Click into that meeting link take you straight into the choices. Thank you so much.
Uh, Ron, can you hear me?
maybe the points of escalation um, for these problems. What do you think, Lydia? Uh, I was you on that. I think discussion with the 